The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Good morning. Um, as you said, my name is Drew Glosson. I'm from North Carolina, so if you have a little trouble understanding me today, uh, that's why. <laughs> but hopefully through the grace of the Holy Spirit, he'll speak to every one of us. I want to share with you a story this morning um, that really isn't my own story, but it's the story of Jesus at work within me and, and my family and, and what we're doing. And um, really, we just pray that that's the story for, for all of you as well. Um, I was born and raised in the Bible Belt culture of North Carolina, and the early years of my childhood were scarred with abuse and torment. Um, when my parents were five, they divorced, and they ended up separating and living about six hours apart from each other. So I struggled and wrestled with just the tension of a divorced family and, and all of that coming, coming from an abusive situation. And then as the oldest of three boys, uh, I myself continued in that abusive pattern by acting out and fighting endlessly with my, my siblings and my mother. And then in high school, I decided um, a good idea would be to move in with my dad, which kind of led me to one of the lowest points of my life. I fought constantly with him. I saw kind of the abusive nature that I had developed uh, coming from him. And uh, just through all that fighting and pain and stuff, I eventually fell into porn addiction and eventually became a sexual abuser. All the while in the midst of that, I was looking for, for something to hope in, something, something to satisfy the empty longing that I had in my heart, uh, just trying to wrestle with all of this stuff. And it was around that time that at Christmas, I went back to visit my mother and my brothers, and they took me to this youth Christmas party. And I remember going to this party and kind of leaving, feeling like, Man, it felt like everyone there was kind of my friend, and, and that was really kind of the first time that I experienced any kind of like uh, Christian community, you know, that we try to strive for in the church. So being able, unable to explain what happened, but just knowing that I needed something like that in my life, I sought to return and live with my mother and my brothers again, and I did, and I ended up spending the rest of my high school career kind of plugging into that church, being involved as much as I could. And I heard some talks about Jesus and some other things and, and ended up developing kind of a works-based mentality of the gospel in my heart. And what I mean by that is that I, I knew how much of a broken, sinful person I was, um, how messed up I was. And I sought kind of every day in this like rhythm and cycle to like work really hard, become a really good person. Um, in the South, it's really drilled into you like Nice people are Christians. If you're Christian, you need to go be nice. And so I thought, if I just become a very nice person, seek to do these things, um, you know, like, God will forgive me, and, and I'll be okay. But what I developed was just this pattern where, like, there were nights I would just cry myself to sleep, just begging God, you know, please forgive me as I dwelled on the sin and my past and, and the things that I had done. Um, and so through all that, eventually I made my way to Bible college in pursuit of becoming a youth minister. It's kind of like the ultimate culmination of my repentance. It's like, if I go, you know, and become like a minister, then God will forgive me. And it was there in Bible college, the same one that Cheech was talking about, um, that a professor challenged me to really spend some time in the scripture, absent from external input, and really take in what the Lord has to say. And that really challenged me because up to that point, I had never really 
done that. I never really sat down and just read the scriptures for myself. I had always just gone to church, heard the messages that the preacher preached, you know, heard from my youth minister, maybe memorized a few key verses, you know, and that was good. And so I did. I went back to my dorm room and I began reading through the book of Acts and my world was just rocked. I saw the hope of the resurrection for the first time in my life. As I read about a man named Paul and his conversion story, I saw myself. Here's, here's Paul, he, a sinful man, a broken man, a murderer of Christians. He calls himself the chief priest of sinners. And yet, he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus makes him new. Fully, holy, new. And there wasn't anything he had to do. He just was. And I saw that in my own life, and it clicked for me. And I realized that up to that point, I'd been trying to work off my sin. I'd been trying to, to do everything I could to dig myself out, only to find that I was digging myself deeper. And so I was just so richly blessed to see that um, Christ had forgiven me, and that my problem wasn't a work problem. It was an identity problem. I was not yet seeing myself called to be a representative of Christ, called to rest in the loving arms of a father who, who loves and forgives. And so that summer, I, uh, I went home to North Carolina and kind of worked through with my, my brothers and a few peers, you know, what I'd been going through. And uh, I had the privilege of being baptized by my brother Billy. And I remember telling everyone after I was baptized that from that moment on, I was going to be a different person because Jesus was going to change my heart. And I returned to Bible college that fall, and I began to take my classes more seriously. I, I just had a zeal and a passion for the Lord like I never had before, and just wanted to learn and grow and understand more about this loving Father that I had. And it was around that time that I met a new friend named Shion Sakikiyama. And he just happened to be Japanese. And so we, we quickly became friends, and it wasn't long until he was asking, hey, why, why don't you come to Japan with me? And I was thinking, mm, I'm, I'm a redneck guy from North Carolina. I don't think that really <laughs> meshes. But he kept begging me and finally approached me with this idea of, like, let's go and do a mission trip to my home church, you know, and stuff. And I said, you know, all right. So we did. And that first trip to Japan was a doozy. I was, a, you know, say that word here? <laughs> I was amazed to see the world outside of America. And if you haven't been outside of America, let me encourage you, go. It's going to open your eyes, you know, not just to see the world a different way, but to see the gospel a different way as well. I was encouraged to see that. And I was just amazed and, and impressed seeing the church outside of America for the first time. And it just blew me away so much that I returned from that trip. And I was eager. I just wanted to go back to Japan, see more, learn more. Uh, just figure out, like, what's going on over there? So that first trip was in 2006, and then the following year, 2007, I had a second chance to go. Um, at college, we did these, like, spring break mission trips, and the school led one to Japan. So we went, and I got to go all around the main island of Japan and visit a lot of local churches and, and just see the need in a way I hadn't saw on the first trip. And I left that still wanting to spend more time in Japan, wanting to know more. So... I decided to do my internship in Japan. I went back that summer, and it was there that disaster struck. I was living in a small city, Kashiwazaki. It's in the, the northern, western part of Japan. 
And in, in the third week of my internship, a major earthquake struck that city. Um, the missionaries I was working with lost their home. I lost my apartment. And we would spend the rest of that summer living together in this small English school. Um, you might compare it, if you've watched the news recently, there's been a major earthquake in Japan um, in the southern part of Kumamoto. And uh, you can compare that earthquake to this. A lot of destruction, a lot of devastation, but very concentrated and not really made known to national media. But it was in the wake of that earthquake that I found myself amongst many people who lost everything and they had no hope. And it just reminded me of the hopelessness that I had had before I found Christ. And seeing so many hopeless people around me, my heart was stirred and I felt called to return to Japan and and share the truth about Jesus Christ with them. During that time in the disaster, I also worked with various disaster relief groups and just kind of helped out, did whatever I could because I didn't have anything else to do. I'm just living in a disaster zone. And one of the groups I worked with had mentioned that they had an international school. They were starting up in Tokyo and wanted teachers. So I thought, oh, that's a good idea. And then also at the end of that summer, I was invited to go to an English Bible camp. They were like, hey, we know you've been in this disaster, haven't really showered much, would you like to go to this camp? I was like, sure, you know. So I had this camp, and I ended up meeting my wife, Megumi, there at this camp. So fast forward a year, and I'm back in Japan, this is 2008, teaching in Tokyo at that international school. Um, And it was after I got back from the summer, like, Japan was just on my brain. I just wanted to get back so fast. And so I took the first ticket offered to me, you know, and went back, was teaching. I I reconnected with Megami. So I'm teaching at this international school. I'm helping with the youth ministry there. Megami and I are leading a college-age Bible study in downtown Tokyo and just doing as much as I can for the Lord. And kind of through that, uh, what began to happen was I became very proud, very arrogant, kind of like a one-man show as I sought to be on mission for God there in Japan. And so after two years, I decided that I wanted to pursue full-time ministry. So I recruited um, two, a couple that went to college with me. They were working in northern Japan to come and work with us. I asked Megami uh, to come with me, and we ended up getting married, and we went to be a team of four um, in the countryside of Japan, about two hours west of Tokyo. If you put your finger in the center of the map, that's where we were in Japan. And that would turn out to be the most difficult, hardest year of my marriage thus far, um, as we sought to just move out there with a plan to take over ministry from a missionary couple that was there. The situation we were going into was extremely difficult, extremely unhealthy, uh, just so messed up in so many ways. And yet in my pride and arrogance, you know, being this punk 20-year-old kid, I thought, you know, like, I can do it, you know, no sweat, you know, like, yeah, let's go. And God kind of quickly showed us that, no, that's not possible. And then as he was showing us and revealing us that it was going to be really hard here, and maybe this wasn't something that we would be able to do of ourselves, Japan was rocked with the largest natural disaster um, known to this century um, as the triple disaster, the earthquake, tsunami, and, and nuclear kind of meltdown stuff happened. And in that time, I was given the opportunity to lead a team up to the north two days after it happened to kind of begin disaster relief efforts because I had previously been in an earthquake. And God kind of used that time during the tsunami to show me, 
yeah, Drew, you have no idea how to lead. You have no idea what you're doing. And only by his grace did we accomplish anything during that time of helping out during the disaster. But we did. And we returned from that uh, back to the area we were working. And we just saw our plans one by one begin to crumble away. And we got to a point where we had to say, where do we go from here? So let me pause there and talk briefly with you about the call to represent Jesus. The call to represent Jesus in your life, it'll lead you to, to difficult, to scary, to dangerous, to dirty, um, troublesome. Insert pretty much any adjective that would turn you off to doing something. And that's where the call to Jesus will lead you. And you'll get to that point eventually if you're living your life on mission for Jesus. And so as we represent Jesus in our workplaces, in restaurants, bars, the streets, wherever we go to Japan, uh, we'll, it'll be led with hard, challenging situations. But I just want to let you know that it's worth it. It's worth it to do it um, so that he'll be glorified. So Cheech read this passage in Acts um, about Paul. And Paul, of course, was no stranger to that. If you've read through the, the book of Acts or any of his letters that he's written, um, he was no stranger to encountering difficult circumstances um, as he felt called to represent Jesus. And so as we look at this passage, let me preface it a little bit. Paul had recently departed from the church in Ephesus on a journey to go to Jerusalem. And he knew as he left the church in Ephesus and went on his way to Jerusalem with a mission of eventually reaching Rome, that some difficulty would be awaiting him. Uh, let me read to you from Acts uh, chapter 20 as he's talking to the Ephesian elders at the church there. Starting in verse 22, he says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. How many of you would, would stand up and say that right now, this morning? I know that would be hard for me. In, in the midst of the disasters in Japan, I saw people without hope. And here in the text... Paul is in the same situation in chapter 23. After arriving in Jerusalem, he's given an opportunity to testify of the hope of Jesus to the Jews in the temple who do not yet believe of it. But what they do is they, they cut him off and they don't let him finish. And then they beat him and they imprison him. Again, we're talking about hard stuff here. So now in the passage, um, chapter 23, Paul's given a second opportunity to address the Jews. And you might think, maybe he'll back off a little bit this time, you know? But no, he, he boldly testifies the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. When he knows full well that that's going to stir the pot, since the topic of resurrection is already a hot-button issue with these guys, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But it doesn't matter to him. He cannot refrain from proclaiming the truth about Jesus, which has everything to do with the hope of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we don't get church, we don't get eternal life, we don't get forgiveness of sin. 
And that's because Paul knows that the resurrection is everything to do with the hope that he has. And he boldly proclaims it. As we were uh, down in North Carolina, we were meeting with one church player named Tommy. And it was Easter, and he was talking about the resurrection. And he said his wife asked him, you know, what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with me being in the grocery store and my kids are just taking cans off the shelf and just slamming them on the floor, you know? And his response was, it has everything to do with it. And I think that's what we need to see as we feel called to represent Jesus, is that the resurrection of Jesus, like, and the hope that that brings us, has everything to do with everything. So this great hope that drove Paul to say to the Ephesian elders that he considers his life of no value, and it drives him to willfully walk into a situation that he knows could go bad. Friends, this call to represent Jesus, it's worth the cost. But it's going to cost us everything. And Paul considers his life worth nothing at all because he understood that representing Jesus is about something deeper than saying, hey, you know, vote for Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Representing Jesus means forsaking who we are so that we can find our true identity in him. In the book, The Prodigal God, which is written by a guy named Tim Keller, he looks at the story of the prodigal son, which you might be familiar with in, in Luke um, 15. And he actually argues that we should call it the tale of two lost sons instead of the prodigal son. Uh, and it shows um, the story about a son who's rebellious. And he says, Father, give me all your inheritance. And he goes and he squanders it away for many years until he runs completely out. Comes home um, to his dad saying, you know, like, hey, like, I'm eating out of a pig's trough. You know, my dad teaches service a little better than that. So I'll go home and, you know, I'll be a servant for my dad. He comes home and his dad sees him far off and just lavishes him with love, rejoices, throws this huge party for him. And then the older brother is upset because he's worked really hard. He's always done the right thing. And he's never got a party. And so in the midst of this, the father goes to him and he tells him, son, listen, all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Come, be a part of this party. Join, celebrate with us. Uh, But the older brother refuses. Both of these brothers struggle to see that their identity, or they struggle to see their identity as their father's sons who loves them unconditionally. And in my own life, I've been both of those brothers, right? I rebelled from God and sought for the temporary pleasures of the world. And then I converted to an older brother, believing that I had to work for the father's approval. And Keller reminds us here that we'll never stop being younger brothers or older brothers until we acknowledge our need and gaze at the wonder of Jesus, our true elder brother. So friends, the call to represent Christ and to testify of the hope of his resurrection is a call to forsake our identity as we've known it and to see our hope and identity in Christ, just as Paul does. As we prepare to take the gospel to Japan, um, we're going to strive to call Japanese to do the same thing, to forsake themselves and find their identity in Christ alone. I don't know if you know this, but Japan is one of the most unreached nations in the world right now. It's home to over 130 million people, and it's roughly the size of California. And 30 million of those people call Tokyo home. 
And of those 130 million people, less than 1% are Christian. Less than 1% would claim to, to represent Jesus on any basis. Japan is a hard, difficult place to represent Jesus well. It's a land full of elder brothers. The homogeneousness of Japan, it drives many to live a life constantly seeking approval. Approval of your boss, your coworkers, your spouse, society, neighbors, classmates, the list goes on and on and on. This drive for approval is where the culture of honor that you've probably heard of in Japan comes from. But sadly, approval and honor, they only work in one direction, which is why many who lose face in Japan are driven to suicide, and partly why Japan is the second highest suicide rate in the world. The pursuit of approval also drives this uh, perfectionist ideology in Japan. Has anybody ever seen the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Um, it's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, unless raw fish kind of creeps you out. But it's about a world-famous sushi chef named Jiro. And he's, he's won, like, tons of awards. He's, like, the Michelin five-star, whatever they call it. And, you know, just, like, an amazing chef. Um, and it just goes through his pursuit of creating the perfect piece of sushi. But in this documentary, you see that in his pursuit of, of sushi, of, of, of making this, like, perfect dish, he throws his life away. He becomes a slave to his restaurant. He's an absent father to his kids and wife. And he just gives himself completely over to the hope that the perfect piece of fish will bring full satisfaction to him. And that through his work, he'll obtain perfection. Many Japanese believe in the uh, Buddhist idea of reincarnation. You know, that, that when you die, you're reborn as something else, you know, until you reach perfection. And as we look towards our return to Japan... We're compelled, as Paul was, to share with them the truth about the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that he is perfect, so we don't have to be. And our hope is that many would come to believe the truth that perfection is found only in Christ and that through that they would find their identity in him as we have. And so Paul's story doesn't end here, and neither does ours. We keep going. Um, it's kind of going to lead to my second thought, which is, in order to represent Jesus well, we have to trust him. Um, look back at verse 11. The following night, the Lord took him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. At this point, Paul could have said, Nah, you know, I'm done. I don't want to do it. But he doesn't. Like, he remains steadfast. And if you continue reading the book of Acts, he goes forth and he encounters even more difficulties, shipwreck and snake bites and, and more beatings and imprisonment. Um, but God is with him all the way. And you can look in the back of Acts too and you'll see many examples of how like when he was first converted, you know, he was threatened to be killed and had to like sneak through a wall. And then at one point as he's out on his missionary journeys, um, he's beaten to the point of death and somehow he brings him back. Paul is no stranger to the difficulties and the suffering that might come to us um, as representatives of Christ. And so for us, in order to accomplish the mission in Japan, we too have to trust the Lord like Paul does in whatever situation would come about. So leaving Japan... 
was a really difficult situation for us. We didn't want to leave, but we didn't really see any other options. Um, but we trusted the Lord and had hope that um, he would be with us. So we came back to Japan at the end of 2011. And after floating around the States for a little while, we found ourselves a family at Cars Church. And through the past five years as we've grown with Cars, we've seen just how, how much love, compassion, um, just grace God had for us um, in going through this tough season to bring us about. Um, as I began to walk through repentance and uh, kind of get my pride in check and, you know, see that, you know, like the church is really about a family and a community and not really about, you know, just being a one-man show. Um, it just began to bless us. I became an intern at Cars Church. I did that for two years. and just was given a lot of opportunities to, to lead in a way where I could, like, make a lot of mistakes and not get in trouble for it. Um, kind of, and grew through that, you know, to become a healthier leader. Uh, which led to me becoming a deacon at Cars. And as we, we repented and we grew and we began to understand, what does it really mean to be a healthy church member, uh, to participate in the local church? And what does that mean to lead people to be on mission for Jesus? And what does that mean to, like, sacrifice yourself and, you know, stop being this one-man show and, like, be a part of the group? Um, the elders just began to, to see that, that the calling in our heart to return to Japan and, and share truth about Jesus with those people, it just wasn't going away. So in, in 2012, um, the leaders of CARS decided, you know, we're heavily invested in Brazil. We've, we've done a lot of work in the Midwest, and then we had this connection with Brazil. And they felt like, you know, maybe we should start seeing about investing in another region of the world. And so um, through the, the tsunami and all that, Japan kind of came across their radar. And so they took a vision trip in 2012 to go to Japan with a few members from the church and came back from that with an overwhelming, all right, yes, we, we got to do something in Japan. We see the need. So in 2013, they said, you know, we want to we explore with you um, what it would look like to be sent back to Japan um, to continue the work of representing Jesus there. So in 2013, we went back. Um, with a vision of just meeting different people and seeing, is there anybody that's like-minded with Cars vision and values that, that we could partner with? Kind of came from that saying, mm, maybe not, but let's keep looking. And so in 2014, we went back again, and we met this guy named Yoshito Noguchi. And Yoshi is like so like-minded with Cars vision and value. It, it can only be the Lord at work and, and bringing us together. Uh, Yoshi is now um, part of the X29 network. Um, he's gone through the assessment process, and he's also part of the uh, Soma family of churches, as Chief said. And, and he's been in Tokyo now for a little over two years seeking the, to plant God's church there. And we're so excited um, to just be partnered with him and be ready to go and be sent there to help him plant God's church there in Tokyo. So as we call a vision for um, being sent out, going to Japan and helping begin the work of church planning there, um, we decided, well, now we want to get more interest. We want to invest in, in more people uh, reaching Japan. So last year, we took a trip in the spring um, and took about 10 different pastors from the Acts 29 network with us to Japan to just kind of cast a vision to them. Hey, here's the need. It's really massive. Would you go back and would you seek to send resources and workers to Japan to help reach this nation for the gospel? 
And that leads us to, to where we're at now. Now we're ready to return uh, and begin the work of planting God's church there alongside Yoshi. Uh, and by placing our trust in the Lord, we're going to seek to represent Jesus well there. Um, we want to do that well to the people of Tokyo. Um, we want to model a healthy family, uh, teach people, you know, what a gospel-centered family looks like and, and those kind of things. So we could talk about that more uh, later this afternoon. Um, right now, we're in the midst of support raising. We've been um, on the road since November um, trying to raise support to, to get ourselves over there. Um, and it's provided us with many excellent ways to put our trust in the Lord and represent Him well as we just share our vision to reach this great nation of Japan for the gospel as we travel around, you know, and try to invite partners to join us, you know, come on our team, help us reach these 130 million people that, that need to know the gospel. So what does all this mean for you as a church? What does it mean um, to hear this guy and hear his story and, and talk about some faraway place? Just a couple thoughts I want to leave with you. Um, the first is see that the call to represent Jesus is for everyone. It's, it's not just for me, because I'm going to some faraway place. It's just as much for you, the church. You, we're all called to represent Jesus where we are. Just as, just as we're called to represent Jesus well as we're on the road to support raising, um, in the same way we're supposed to do it in Japan. And in the same way for you guys. As you prepare to go out this week, um, your coffee shops here in town, your schools, your workplaces, all of that, just let me encourage you to put your trust in the Lord and seek to represent Him well in this city because He's worthy of being represented well. And we, wanna, we love you guys. We want to see two pillars grow. And let me just say, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I want to encourage you to come and talk to me or one of the leaders here at Two Pillars afterwards and learn more about what it means to put your trust in the Lord and to represent Him um, and just what that means and how you'll be given a new identity through Him one that you can represent well. Thank you guys for letting us come and share. Let's pray. Father, so thankful to, to be here today in Nebraska, which I've heard is the good life, Lord, and, and we know that uh, the good life comes from you ultimately, Lord. So just pray here that we would just put our faith, hope, and, and trust in you, Father, as we seek to represent you well, Lord. God, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, it needs the gospel, Lord. It needs the gospel like Japan does. It needs the gospel like I do, Lord. Would you just help us to, to be a people that um, would remind one another of the hope of your resurrection, Lord, of what Jesus has done for us, and allow us to be a people that, um, as we encourage and build one another up, we also encourage one another to go out into the streets, um, the schools, the workplaces, God, and seek to represent Jesus well, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.